Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Okay, so which... Uh, what's the first church? Ephesus. Uh, by the way, uh, Uncle Hab was uh, kind enough to put all the sermons and the books, PDF files on the internet local church website. Actually, in the front page right now, so you just go and click on it. You're going to find uh, sermons for four different sources. The Pope, Abu Nadawud Lamai, Abu Antunis Fikri, Abu Magdi Nagib, and PDF files for Abu Tadrus in English, in Arabic, and Abu Antunis Fikri in Arabic. So you can look at these sources and listen to them, and and it's for you to understand the difference between what we're doing here and what they what they've done. Okay, so the first is the Church of Ephesus, and we said the meaning of Ephesus is beloved, and uh, the problem of the church was lack of first love, forgotten first love. The second church is Smyrna, means bitter, and the problem of the church was being persecuted. There was actually no particular problems for this particular church. Uh, Pergamus the marriage between the state and the church and we said that this problem the problem of this church is impure teaching in internal or external external because they relied on external sources and they married other people and we sort of related between this and what God said that when people of Israel left him they were committed committing adultery and worship, you know, other gods and loved other people. Okay, and theatra, which is theatrical. What was the problem there? I'm sorry. Ali Sotik. Evil lust. That's that's one of them, and also wrong teaching. And this time the problem was inter- internal, not external. So we see, unfortunately, regression in the state of the, the churches. And we're going to talk about that later on. Right. Now let's go to chapter 3 and talk about the church of Sardis. And Sardis means the remainder or the few. Can we read the first... Uh, few verses. And let's read the whole Church of Sardis and then go back and do it one at a time. Can, who's going to volunteer? Let me just do this. Uh, increase the fonts so you guys can all read. Okay. Who's going to read? Volunteered Haney. Okay. My young. Remember therefore how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. 
Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay. So, can anyone guess what the problem of this church is? Okay. No, who did not defile the gar- their garments. So the others did defile their garments. So that's, yes, that's good. The work was not perfect. What is the most obvious thing that, the first thing that the Lord talked about? The first verse. In the second half of the first verse. Because on the outside they seem alive, or like they're, it's like washing a cup only from the outside, not the inside. Yes. It's the outside appearance, they appear to be that way. They appear to be good, but internally God sees them as as that. Very good. So the problem of this church is that their external appearance is good, People perceive them to be you know, great. They come to church or they serve or do whatever. But in reality, God sees them as dead people. God does not see them as alive. They don't have life with God. They don't have a personal relationship with God. And to Him, they are as good as dead. How, and that's why the Lord appears as the one who holds, who has the seven spirits of God and who has, He holds the seven stars in his hand because the God is the source of life and we're going to see later on that the seven spirits uh, is the Holy Spirit so because the situation of this church is dead spiritually who can revive that church and who can give it life except the Holy Spirit and that's why the Lord appears in that way uh, it is believed that this particular bishop is Saint Melito uh, from the early church. So let's start by the first verse. And to the angel of the church of Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says these things. Seven spirits, where was the first mention of the seven spirits before? Right at the beginning, the first chapter. It says, you know, and peace from the Lord Jesus and... The seven spirits, right? Right. So, we had that in the first chapter, the seven spirits uh, of God, and we talked about that and we said there can be two meanings for that. The first one is, it's the Holy Spirit in its, the way it acts different ways in each one of us, its complete way of acting in us. We said number seven is a complete number, so the complete act of the Holy Spirit in each one of us. Or it can be the seven archangels in front of God, but a lot of the, the fathers prefer it's a, seven, it's a Holy Spirit, it represents the Holy Spirit, specifically in this particular church where, uh, again, the bishop is dead spiritually. Uh, the need in this case is the source of life. And as we saw every time the Lord appeared to the church, He appeared in a particular way that matches the need of the church. 
has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says these things. So the seven stars, he also still holding the seven bishops. This again from go back to chapter one and chapter two. The seven stars are the seven bishops. So God is saying, I am the one who has life, and I'm still holding you close by. Even though you're dead, even though that you don't love me anymore, that's why the relationship is dead. That's why spirituality is dead. I still hold you. I still love you. I still have you close by. I didn't throw you away. Usually people hold to themselves the dear things, not the things they don't care about. If we, if again the interpretation of the seven spirits or the seven bishops, which means that God is the one who has authority over the seven archangels and the seven bishops, or have control over heaven, all the heavenly hosts and the churches as well. I know your works, that you have a name, that you live and are dead. Wait a minute. Every time so far for the last, you know, four churches or the last three churches, Christ used to say. I know your work, that you have, you know, done this for me, and you have struggled, you have kept the faith, you have, you have, you have, you have. And then starts, but I have something against you. Here, he's not saying anything, he's just going straight and saying, I know your work, that you know, uh, you have a name, that you live and are dead. There's no introduction, there's nothing good to say about this church. And unfortunately, that's uh, the problem with hypocrisy. Or a lot of times we call that in our, you know, today's life is, you know, dual life. A lot of us are living a dual life. We live a life in the church, we look good, and we live another life outside that matches what we have outside. We don't have one faithful life to Christ. We don't have Christ in us all the time. We have a double life. So in reality, we have an image in front of people that we are good, but inside us, it's dead. If we have life inside, if we have Christ and the Holy Spirit living inside us, we're not going to be able to live this dual life, this double standard that we, a lot of us are suffering from, and the church and a lot of the people in the church are suffering from, which is two standards. Uh, Again, this person may have a name, this bishop may have a name because of the old deeds he did, maybe because he's more careful about what other people say. Uh, we're used to, uh, back in Egypt, those people, uh, when they fast Ramadan, is the, there's a certain images have to be on the outside what they're fasting and, and so on, but in reality, you don't know whether they're really fasting or not. We can be, you know, fasting from uh, whey and from all these little things, but in reality, are we fasting from lust, from desire, from, for example, seeing bad things, from wasting our time and doing the wrong things, or do, are we just paying attention to the external appearance that everybody sees and judges versus what the internal is that God sees and judges that we don't care about, and that's the dead part. The external appearance is good and the internal appearance is bad. doesn't say that we ignore one or the other. The same way we have an external appearance, we also need to work on our internal appearance in front of God and make sure that our spiritual deeds are alive and their relationship to Christ is really there. And we're not just, you know, pretending in front of people. I come to church because when people see me in church, they think I'm a good, I'm a good person or whatever. And later on, I can be 
doing whatever I want, drugs or whatever. And unfortunately, we have that common problem in today's high school youth and maybe college youth is that just to please their parents and appear good in front of their parents, they come to church, they wear as deacons, they serve in the altar as deacons, but in reality, outside they take drugs and do everything else and nobody sees that. So that's a person that has a name, but they are dead. Second verse, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works being fulfilled before God. Be watchful. Uh, The church is trying to teach us all the time how to be watchful. The church is trying to teach us to pray even to late hours at night. You know, Sabah Arba stays late so we can stay up and be watchful and wait for uh, Christ's coming and church teaches us, you know, come early to liturgy so you're always waking up early and you're always trying to come back to God. Stay late, stay up late praying and come up, wake up early to come to church just to teach us the habit of being watchful. So even the things we do in the church, uh, the church in its wisdom is trying to teach us certain habits. We need to be used to and aware of what the church is trying to tell us. It's not just, you know, because uh, we have nothing else to do, so we stay late in church and wake up, you know, early and come, you know, to church. And everybody goes home and, and sleep and so on. No, it's a habit to teach us how to be watchful and examine ourselves. And a lot of occasions, the church give us opportunities to examine ourselves and be careful with what we do, how to sit down, and examine ourselves. For example, the end of the Coptic here, the readings encourage us to think about the end of the world and about giving examine you know examine ourselves the beginning of you know uh, of the Lent and so on. All these readings help us trying to be watchful and look at what we do. And when we get an advice from our father's confession that every night or every you know every day, every week we sit down with ourselves and examine ourselves, that also helps us to continuously be watchful, even if we have nothing. I mean, here Christ is not talking to a person who has a lot of things, he has a lot of you know good deeds. It's not like the first or second church. No, this is a person who spiritually is dead, who has nothing. This you know a dead person has nothing, right? You know, the person cannot do anything. But even this dead per- person needs to be watchful to what they have and strengthen the things which remain. What's there to what's there that's remain that to strengthen? Right? And that goes back to our Lord's kindness and His love that He's not, uh, you know, going to turn away anybody, even a broken leaf. He's not going to, you know, keep it broken and He's going to help each one of us regardless of what our state is. Sorry. So even if we, if we are dead and we have nothing, we think we have nothing. We still need to work on what we have and strengthen. So let's say the only thing I can do is come to church every Sunday, or attend the Bible study, or you know listen to some you know tape or whatever. I need to be continue to keep these little things that I'm doing and strengthen, which means add to it and work on it diligently so I don't let it go. There are people who seem to be dead before that, 
like St. Paul, when he, you know, before he met Christ, when Moses the Blacks and, you know, made of Egypt, all these people seemed to be dead before. But when they strengthened what they had, they turned out to be those great saints, which gives all of us great hope when there's, you know, there's always an opportunity for us to be saved, opportunity for us to come close to God. The one thing, the trick that the devil always plays, you've been doing that for the last so many years, so you better give up. You're always going to be falling in the same sin. You have nothing. You know that internally that, you know, you're dead. So why try? You might as well give up and continue in your sin. But don't let the devil uh, win and let you stop even the little things that you have. For I have not found your works to be fulfilled and some translations perfect before God. A lot of times we think we're doing enough. What else you want from me? I come to church, I don't cheat, I don't steal, you know, I don't do bad things. What else you want? That's enough. Don't ask me for anything else. You know, visit someone in, you know, in their family. What do you guys want from me? I send my kids to Sunday school. I come once a week, you know, don't ask me for anything else. I spend my time enjoying myself and later on. Uh, even if we're in church, a lot of times we think that everything we do is sufficient. You know, our work is sufficient. But in reality, who can say that his work is perfect before God? You know, if you do all these things, say, but we are nothing but unfruitful servants, right? So we need to be careful of this, that we don't fool ourselves and think that our deeds are perfect and we don't need to do anything else. Remember then how we have received and heard and hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. The first part, remember then how you have received, not what you have received. God is not talking about what does He give us, but how He gives us. God gives us a lot and plenty in due time. I know all of us wants everything immediately, but God is very generous and He gives us in due time. So He's talking to us about how He gives us in this due time. And that's why He's using here how and not how, you know, remember then, you know, what I have, you know, what you have received. You could have easily said, remember what you have received. Because I'm sure he gave, he gives each one of us plenty, right? But he said how you have received. That shows that the way that God gives is very generous. And again, if we go back and tie remembering God's gifts and with the main gift that he gives us, which is the Holy Spirit, in John 14, 26, he said, But the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Whatever I have said to you. So here also remembrance or remembering is one of the acts of the Holy Spirit to remind us with God's generosity, God's mercy, God's love to us. And if we forget that due to being busy in the world, or being, you know, due to you know, tribulations or anything like that, the Holy Spirit will come and remind us. And that's why, uh, you know, when we look at the seven spirits, 
this is the Holy Spirit and really the description in this church matches exactly the act of the Holy Spirit in our life. Yes. Could that also be telling them to remember how they received the faith? Like the apostles who came to preach to them and how I guess maybe the enthusiasm they had in the beginning and the zeal and that might have been changed later. They kind of put everything aside. That's called which church is that? That's, that's first church, right? One, yeah. Philadelphia. You know, forgetting the first love. But it can be the same thing. I mean, why did God tell Moses, you know, when they left the land of Egypt, to write a book of all the things that God had done with them? And to you and I, we also need that. Because we're going to have, you know, times when the devil attacks us and make us feel that God doesn't love us. And if we remember the things that God have done with us, we will tell the devil, look, I've been through this before, and God overcame the problems I'm in, and I became triumphant. So don't tell me that the, the situation I'm in right now is going to last forever, and that God doesn't love me. Don't tell me that. So the remember, and that's the act of the Holy Spirit. It reminds us of these, you know, things that God have done with us in the past, and made us, you know, get us through these problems. Okay. Howl fast and repent. And, you know, repentance, we're going to find that this is a very common theme. So when our church keeps calling for repentance day and night and keep saying, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, we're not inventing anything new. Right? It's not that uh, you know, the church sees us as all bad and you know, tries to cast a negative image on all of us and tell us you know, we're bad and we need to call for mercy. This is what God is teaching us you know, through the Bible. That we need to calling for to repent constantly. Okay. I will come upon you as a, as a thief. Thief is a bad thing, and it's you know, God is most holy, but he you know he doesn't mind giving us whatever example that will make us aware and wake up to our situation, even if it means that he puts himself in a negative light. Here he's saying he's going to be coming as a, as a thief. And then nobody will recognize his coming. But when we hear, if we take that on the general sense, that, you know, the second coming, we're going to see all the signs that are going to precede his second coming. And it's going to be very obvious to those who are faithful that the end of the days are here. If you ask some people now, they're going to tell you, oh, this is the end of the days. Even the time of, you know, St. Paul, they were waiting in the, you know, in the church expecting the end of days. But, God is, you know, signs are not going to be a surprise. When Christ was born, there were prophecies about him, you know, telling people when he's going to be born to the year. If you go back to Daniel and study the prophecy of the 70 years, uh, 70 weeks, uh, you're going to know exactly and you can examine exactly when Christ is going to be born, when he's going to be crucified, and you go back, find out exactly when he's going to be born. And people were waiting in the temple for him to be born. So he didn't come as, you know, in a surprise. But look at Herod and look at the priest and look at everyone else. Herod didn't know that the king was going to be born. And he had to go and when the Magi asked him, you know, told him, where is the king? He didn't know. Even the priest didn't know. They were not, they were asleep. They were not awake and ready. They were not watchful for the coming of Christ. 
So to you and I, if we are watchful, Christ's coming is not going to be a surprise for us. If we're sleepy, we're not going to know when He's going to come. And that's going to tie later on with, you know, if you hear His, his voice, it's the same thing. If I'm listening, I will listen. If I'm trying to listen, I will hear His voice. But if I'm not, I will not. I will not hear His voice. Same thing, if I'm not watchful, he'll, He's going to come, and I will end up, you know, be surprised and, you know, caught off guard the same way as the people in the Old Testament were caught up. Okay. Next question? Okay. Verse 4, You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. You have a few names. Uh, and this is the, the reason behind this church being called Sardis. The, the, the faith in the church, or those who remain in the faith in the church, are few. And that's why it's called Sardis. Uh, and that another thing is that no matter what the situation of the church is, God does not leave himself without a witness. Remember when we talked about Elijah, you know, talked about other things, there's always, God is always going to have a witness in the church. And it also tells us, a lot of people complain, oh, this church is boring, you know, uh, this, you know, this person who gives the sermon is, you know, is boring, we don't benefit anything or whatever. You still have a bishop that God finds him as dead, which means that he cannot give any spiritual life to other people because, you know, that person cannot breathe life into other people. And still, there are few that still have the faith and they're going to walk with Christ wearing white. So, a lot of us are putting their excuses on the church and the state of the church, and we shouldn't be doing that. If you notice the progress of the church, the churches, it was, you know, theatrical, you know, and because it was all superficial relationship to Christ, ended up to dead relationship. And there's a progress, or actually decrease, in how bad things are getting. Progress in bad things are getting and decrease in the spiritual life. From being only theatrical into, yeah, I have, you know, appearance, but I don't have depth either. It's not just I don't have depth, now I don't have, you know, I have appearance, but I don't have even spiritual life. So maybe I started doing things correct at the beginning. I started focusing more on the outside than the inside. Uh, you know, the important services, you know, things that has, you know, glory and things that, you know, people say good things about and stuff like that and start forgetting about the inside and my spiritual life. Little bit by little bit, I start con continue my focus on the outside and inside ends up to be there. Okay. So there's a progress there in the church. And I think once we're done with chapter 3, we're going to go and just, you know, try to see the progress of all the churches as far as, you know, uh, how they get from, you know, bad to worse and so on. Uh, walk with me in, in white. Again, white is a sign of purity. Uh, the Lord in the beginning uh, appeared wearing white uh, on Mount Tabor. He appeared uh, wearing white as well. 
the priests wear white because they're you know clothed with God's uh, grace and, uh, and mercy. So it's deacon, so a new person that's baptized. We have we're lucky to have some people from the Ethiopian church that come and pray with us during Lent. You see them when they're coming to church, they have to come wearing white because they're going to be going to heaven here on earth. So they wear dress all in white and come in to celebrate uh, the liturgy. Uh, so the question for us, when we are named, what is going to be our name? Are we going to be with the few or are we going to be with the majority? Are you still going to be singled out as one of the few that remain faithful? Or are you going to be like everybody else? You need to merge with the crowd, right? You need to be like everybody else and blend in. And all these nice expressions that they will make it sound nice and make us lose our identity and make us lose our relationship to Christ. Okay. Right. For they are worthy. Well, uh, how can a person be worthy in, you know, in the eyes of God except if it wasn't through the sacraments, if it wasn't through uh, repentance, if it wasn't through you know, confession and receiving the sacraments and being renewed again. Because if you notice, none of us is worthy to receive anything from God. The one who overcomes, this one will be clothed in white clothing, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. The one who overcomes. Still, even if this person has very little faith, only superficial activities, no depth, no life internally, still Christ is expecting to overcome. So this person is not going to overcome by himself. And we went, you know, last time we talked about when, you know, sin overtakes us and, you know, spiritual death, the examples of Jairus' daughter, uh, the son of the widow of Nain and Lazarus, and how come all these cases Christ was able to raise them from the dead. This is the same thing. Here Christ is asking this person to do something and he will help him, he will, he will raise him from the dead. He will give him the spiritual life and resurrection to be able to live uh, and overcome sin. And when we talked about the first resurrection, and we said that this is going to be looked at baptismal, and some of the fathers, when they saw this, they also said that the first resurrection can be repentance from sin and overcoming sin, which can happen at multiple stages. So that's for your general uh, discussion we'll be clothed as, as white again clothed as white we wear white and one of the nice things that uh, I heard from one of the sermons that Abuna has uh, and the deacons have to wear white all the way to cover all the you know especially for Abuna all the black he's wearing because you know that's God's grace and that's you know what God gives us is to cover all of our iniquity and we all have to be covered with white. So it's funny when the, the young deacons go out in the church and wearing, you know, a tonia that's up to the knees and, you know, maybe a little bit uh, taller than that, but it shows that they're not covered with completely with God's uh, grace there. Anyway, uh, I will not blot his name from the book of life. Wait a minute. I thought that our name is going to be written in the book of life later on. 
So is this a title in the Bible? When we're baptized, and our name is written in the book of life. So we're saved, we're guaranteed salvation, go do whatever you want, your name is you know, written in the book of life, you have a card launch, do whatever you want, right? <coughs> Should we go ahead and do that? You're saved, you wrote your, you know, the date of your, you know, your salvation in the in your Bible, and that's it. Done, your name is written in the book of life. Go ahead and celebrate. Right? That's that's the way we should uh, live our life? Exactly. If that's the case, why is, you know, God is saying, you know, I will not blot out your name from the book of life. Which means that, yes, my name is written there. Yes, the blood of Jesus Christ have saved me and have allowed me, you know, for my name to be written there. But I have to keep it there. And that's one of the big differences, you know, we're struggling with the Protestant church about, you know, and this is, again, some of the things we talked about from the beginning that the book of Revelation is addressing some of the modern heresies and some of the modern dogmatic differences between us and other churches so that you know that our church is 100% biblical and we're not inventing anything you know, from our minds. This is all purely biblical stuff. You're saved, yes. Is it guaranteed? Is it written in stone? Not yet. St. Paul say, you know what? Asa'al Ali It's hard to translate. <laughs> that's, the, that's the problem of translation. Uh, I struggle, you know, till I reach. And, you know, even someone like Abu Ma'ar, you know, the story of Abu Ma'ar when, you know, he's about to die and uh, they took, you know, he was going up to heaven and the devil is trying to tell him, hey, you know, blessed are you, Abu Ma'ar, you're going to heaven. And he kept telling him, no, not yet, not yet. I'm still listening. I need to get in. And once he got in, he told him, now I got in. So he was not willing, you know, the, the angels were carrying him. And he was going out, and he was not willing to say, yes, I've got into heaven, until he really got in. So we should always be struggling and trying to do our best, fight sin, adhere to the faith, you know, uh, practice the sacraments, right? and live a virtuous life. That's how our name is going to continue to be written there. It's not going to be blot out. If my spiritual life is dead, then I'm erasing my name from the book of life myself. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Well, how does this tie to the whole thing? Why is... Why is God coming now and saying, after, you know, I will not blot his name from the you know, book of life and all that, say, I will confess his name. Why? I mean, wasn't that the whole purpose of salvation? That, you know, Christ between us and the Father? Yes. So, but again, the, the whole, it, we're talking about this particular church, right? And we said that the way the Lord appears, the rewards of the church, Everything is related to the state of the church. So now, if we look at the state of the church, that they have a name, you know, 
they're alive but they're dead. Why Christ at the end tells him, I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Oh, you're supposed to read the answer. It's supposed to co- if I cover it like this, you guys are going to see it. How am I going to do that? <laughs> All right. If my relationship with God is only to please people, okay. you think really when it's time of you know trouble and there's persecution, or when there's hard times and when there, you know I'm put in a situation. What I have to admit, I'm Christian. I don't have, for example, uh, to drink or I don't have to do anything wrong or whatever. I will steadfast and admit that I'm Christian and it's not going to matter to me what people are going to say about me or I'm going to be, mm, let me be wise. Let me, you know, protect myself and, you know, so what? I'm not going to, I'm going to be quiet today and let things go by and then later on maybe people will know. If my relationship with God is not that strong, if I am not, don't have the the hot spiritual life, I will not confess God's name in front of people. My life is not going to be a testimony for God's love to me. So I will not be confessing His name. Only, for example, look at the life of people like uh, Abraham, uh, Antonius, Ambarola, any of these things. Do you think they loved Christ? For sure. Why? Because their life testified that. Do you think they were alive spiritually or dead spiritually? Of course alive. Why? Because their life testified by their actions and by you know, how they lived their life that they have loved Christ. If, I, if my life is lukewarm, if my life is wishy-washy, if I live a double standard, if I have, you know, one way appear in the church and have another way appear outside, how do you think that life is testifying for Christ? It's not. I think Christ is going to, you know, confess my name in, you know, in front of the Father, in front of His angels, if I don't confess His name by the way I live. Okay, so let's tie this, this church to the other two churches. This church comes after Pergamos, which relied on external sources that make it, you know, start getting weak. And Theatra, which again, external appearance. And they were shallow. There were no depth in the relationship. That led to superficial relationship to God and dead spiritually. So if I don't have depth in the relationship, what's going to end up happening I'm going to die. If there's a seed, if a tree, you put it in and don't plant the roots deep inside. What's going to happen to this tree? Wither and die. That's the same thing in our relationship with God. If we don't go deep, there's no depth in the relationship, we are going to die. Right? You guys want to take a break while I keep going? Keep going. All right. The Church of Philadelphia. Okay, again, Philadelphia is the brother of love. Let's read the Church of Philadelphia together first, and then 
See what's going on. And who's going to read that? From 7 to 13. Any volunteers? The angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens, says these things. I know your works. Behold, I have given bef- I have given before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Behold, I give out of those of the synagogue of Satan those sayings themselves, those saying themselves to be Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my patience, I also will keep you from the hour of temptation which will come upon all the, all the habitable world, to try those who dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast to what you have, so that no one may take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he will go out no more. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the holy city, of of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from heaven, from my God and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, does this church have any problems? Little strength. So is that a big deal? What does what does it mean? Let's let's try to explore what little strength is. What does it mean? Anything else, by the way, before we go to little strength? Do you guys find any other glaring problems? Are they dead or whatever or you know? Right. So what's the problem with little strength? You will not be able to struggle. Alright. What else? No patience. So tribulations comes in, I give up. What else? What do you think the main source of you know little you know little strength is? Little faith. I believe that whatever I'm gonna do is gonna rely on me. It depends on me to do these things. It depends on me to become righteous. It depends on me to overcome sin. It depends on me to fix the whole world. And guess what? I tried that once and twice and discover what? Can't do. By myself, I can't do it. So I'm overwhelmed. And my faith starts and my strength start getting smaller and smaller and weaker because I'm trying to depend on my own. How many of us try to overcome a certain sin or a certain habit or anything specific for long times, maybe for years, and it seems like we can't do it? Because, again, we are trying to rely on our own ability, not on God's ability. So if we look at that and say that the problem of this church is little strength let's look at how the Lord appears he appears 
He who is holy, who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens, says these things. So he appears as the holy and true and faithful and he has the control of opening and closing. So how does that correspond to the state of this church? The latter part is easy to understand, right? That he opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. So God is in control. So when God says, I'm going to open this door, I'm going to open it. When St. Mark came to Egypt, he was a poor man, not even, you know, a good shoe. And God said, I'm going to open this. He opened it. No one was able to shut. Right? When God said, I'm going to open the door for the people of Israel to leave Egypt, he opened and no one was able to shut. Right? So, when God opens, no one is able to shut. So that shows God that really the one who is in control and the one who can give you strength and the one who opens the doors or closes it is in reality is God. It's not you. It's not your ability. It's not your intelligence. It's not how clever you say things. It's not you know uh, how much you, know, you study and you do all these things, which I'm not saying that we're not supposed to study or learn or prepare ourselves or any of these things, but it's not... By that, it's by God's ability. It's by God's blessings. And God, when God opens, this is how it's open. This is especially for, for the servant. I don't know a lot of you guys, you know, are servants. So especially for the servants. When you serve, you're going to find that there's a lot of obstacles in front of you. And you're really overwhelmed and you really don't have any strength to do that. When you see God is the one who opens and closes, you know that what you really, what you're doing is you're nothing but an instrument in front of God, in, in God's hand. So, that's the, you know, the second part of the verse, which is, again, easy to relate to. How about the first part? He who is holy, who is true, and he has the key of David. Again, he has the key of David, that's easy to understand, because he has the keys of the kingdom of, you know, of heaven. So, he's the one who holds the, the ultimate control. Who is holy, who is true. How can we relate that to the state of this church? I'm gonna, you, know, you guys are going to explain that to me. I'm gonna, not going to put the answer in front. Again, what the problem of this church? Little strength. Right? So little strength is because I... Depend on myself. Why does God appear as the holy and is true? Why do you think I started depending on myself to start with? No faith in God. No faith in God? Yeah, this guy is a bishop. I'm sorry? He trusted himself because he believed he was holy. Exactly. True. Because he started believing in himself that, hey, I'm good. So I'm going to start telling people how to be good. Right? I'm, you know, I know the truth. I know. So I'm going to tell others how to, how to learn and how to be good. So he started separating himself from 
you know, from God a little bit. So when God appears to him as he is the true holy one, and he is the truth, he's trying to tell him, look, you have to rely on me, you have to depend on me, you have to trust me, because I am the true holiness, and I'm the true, you know, I'm the truth. You are not the source of holiness, and you are not the source of truth. So it, it has to be Christ himself. We have to focus on Christ himself. And when we see him as a holy and as, you know, the truth, we start focusing on him, we start focusing less on us, then our focus will be in the right place. So, I remember that scene from the Passion movie when uh, Christ was talking to Pontius Pilate and you know, Pontius and all of his glory and power and then Christ told them, nothing was given to you on this external book. And then they start talking about the truth. And then later on, he went to his wife and he asked her, what is the truth? So he started realizing that all the power that he has and all the glory that he has is not really because of his capabilities or his success, but it's from an outside power, a godly power. So. And unfortunately, a lot of us forget that in our service, forget that our relationship to God and try to be become us as the source of holiness and the source of truth. And we lose focus on God. We think we are the ones who are going to change the world. Right? And that's maybe that's one of the problems that why the church today is, you know, is ineffective <coughs> on a communal basis because we think we are the ones who are going to change that. When we serve the youth or we serve you know, in any class... I depend on my ability to deliver that. I don't, I don't know that I'm just an instrument in God's hand. Right? So we try to, to change the message a little bit. So to counter the weakness and the slackness in this church, the Lord reminds the bishop of his holiness. If we remind ourselves with God's holiness, we cannot be lazy and relaxed. It's another thing. Is that when, when the later on we're going to see in chapter four and chapter five when the 24 priests, for example, and the, you know all the heavenly hosts see the Lord and see His you know, holiness. They cannot do anything except bow down and say, "Holy, holy, holy." Right? If we examine ourselves and we look at God and His holiness, we're not going to be able to be relaxed. We're not going to be able to be lazy because He is fire and. He's going to, you know, inspire us and He's going to give us the energy and the power to be able to go and do and conquer the whole world. Who can believe that somebody like St. Paul took upon himself the responsibility of preaching to the whole world? Who, you know, who can imagine somebody like St. Peter was responsible for preaching to all the Jews who are spread throughout the whole world? These are two individuals and they accepted such a responsibility, not because of their greatness, They didn't accept such a responsibility because they knew that they were great, they can do it. No, they accepted it because they knew that God can do it and can deliver. There is a joke I tell you about, you know, one of those characters. You know, the church for Said, they had a problem, you know, their you know, old priest died, so the bishop got them a new young priest and you know, a few months later they went to him complained, We don't like this priest and you know, he's you know, too young and all this, he's tall, he's short, he's you know, all these things. So he said, look, 
and then after, you know, he listened to them for a while, complaining, complaining, complaining. And then told, okay, I have another priest. He's very good. Right? Small problems. Anything better than what we have? Well, he's an ex-con man. He was, you know, thrown to jail a couple of times. Sayyidna, what are you talking about? We're complaining about this guy. You want to tell us, you know, get us uh, somebody who used to be in jail? He said, yeah, I forgot to tell you. He really cannot see. He can barely see. You know, he's, you know, I can barely read because his eyes is really bad. And by the way, he everywhere he goes, he creates problems and they kick him out. And he has a bad back. Uh, do you think I should send you the priest? Said, no way. We don't want somebody like that. Well, that's St. Paul. If you look at St. Paul from the negative side, he was thrown to jail. His ship got tracked, you know, four times, three times. Uh, everywhere he go, he was, you know, to, used to be thrown out and kicked out. Uh, he was almost blind. He was almost, you know, he had a bad back. And despite all that, he was a fire. Because he kept always in front of him that God is holy. Right? So, if we're lazy, if we feel that, you know, we're sort of, you know, relaxed and we have little strength, let's put the eye, you know, let's put the image of God, the holy, in front of us. And that's going to light us, you know, with fire and inspire us to be able to, to really serve Him and really struggle in our spiritual life. Yeah. Okay. To the angel of the Church of Philadelphia, write, He who is holy, He who is true, He who has the key of David, He who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens says these things okay. I know your works behold I have given before you an open door and no one can shut it for you have a little strength and I have and kept, kept my word and have not denied my name again same thing there is no long introduction of you know wonderful deeds great things you know defended my the faith uh, I know your works period behold I have given before you an open door and no one can shut it so if I'm trying to struggle in my life right, and you know my spiritual life is, is weak and I'm trying to grow spiritually God is telling me that I have opened a door before you God, what does God want from each one of us? To be saved, right? God wants, you know, wants everybody to be saved and uh, to the knowledge of the truth, you know, that would come. So, He wants you to know the truth. So, He has opened a door before you and no one can shut that door except you. Unfortunately, only I can shut the door that God has opened for me. Because I can turn my back and leave the church. If you notice, in our churches, uh, the altar, the cover of the altar is cloth. They, in the old churches in Egypt, they have wooden doors, actually because of thieves and because of the Roman invasion and the Muslims and, and all that. But the tradition of the church is have only cloth. So I can open this door at any time, there's no real hard door that I have to open and it's locked and, and all these things. So the only one who can shut this door that God has opened for my salvation <coughs> is I. Okay. 
So God gives us what we can handle. Nothing more and nothing less. Devil always, 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 always going to try to make us think that what we have as problems we're facing today is too much. God doesn't know, you know, how much I can take. God is, you know, leaning too hard on me. God is, you know, this. God is that. He always complains. Don't forget, his name is the complainer. He always complains. And the more, the best person he complains about is God. And he complains about God's actions in your life a lot. But tell him that God has opened a door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength and have kept my word and have not denied my name. So this is an honest person. This is not like the previous bishop. So he has not denied God's name. He have kept his word and have not denied God's name. Behold, I give out of those of the synagogue of Satan, those saying themselves to be Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Synagogue of Satan. Again, this is second time we hear that expression about the Jews. Couple of things. First, people say that at some times the Jews used to pretend to be, you know, atheists and you know, uh, worship the idols just for the be nice to the rulers and the kings, and they let the kings persecute the Christians. They hated the Christians so much they were willing to pretend to be idol worshippers. So the rulers will only persecute the Christians. That's why they're called synagogue of Satan. But again, this is the same people, the same synagogue that God used to live in, and these are used to be, you know, God's people. Hopefully, we're never going to be called that because hopefully we'll never reject Christ and worship before your feet. Here is not a sign of worship, not because of, uh, you know. That he is a god, but a sign of honor, uh, and not, to, you know, religious worship, but you know, honor. So when we bend down and worship before the bishops, it's not really something out of the of the Bible, still within biblical context, because this is still part of honor and giving respect to the bishop, bishops and patriarchs. To know that I have loved you. Again, those people who are sort of collecting the comforting things, and we have to stop after this chapter and review what they have done. Listen to this. This is a a bishop that have little strength. God did not find anything to say about him. But why is God rebuking him? Why is God, you know, talking to him and telling him that? Because I have loved you. I think... If you take these verses and just put in front of you and meditate on it the whole day, you know, God is telling you, all this was happening to you is because I have loved you. And think about it. Each one of us will have a different situation to think about and different reasons, you know, to question or let the devil question, you know, question whether God loves us or not. But here God is saying it, you know, very clear. Because I have loved you. Even if you are not the best, even if you have little strength, even if you have tried to separate yourself from me, have you know considered yourself to be more holy, have considered yourself to be a better person, you really don't need me. I still love you.
And here I will make them to come and worship before your feet. Some of the fathers think that the reason this church is called the Church of Philadelphia is this is a sign that the Jews are going to repent, you know, believe in Christ, come back and join the church. That's why it's called the Church of Brotherly Love, that all the, you know, the people, believers will come together back again in one church. So this is, again, some people say take that and what St. Paul said about the remainders will believe in all these things, that this is a sign of the Jews repenting and coming back and to know that Christ has loved his church and has defended his church throughout the, you know, whatever thousands of years that this would, you know, would happen in and he will continue to protect it. Because you have kept the word of my patience, I will also keep you from the hour of temptation which will come upon all the habitable word and to try those who dwell upon the earth. This is for those people who believe in the millennium reign and rapture and all these, you know, heresies. If there are going to be a rapture and the righteous are going to be taken out to the clouds where tribulation is going to be on earth and those left behind, you know, series and the movies left behind and all these things to struggle. Why is God saying, I will also keep you from the hour of temptation which will come upon all the habitable world you say oh I'm just going to take you out I'm going to you know, rapture you and take you out of you know on the clouds and you're not going to be harmed no but even during this you know great temptation that's going to be up you know upon the world God is going to protect him inside and during this temptation when Christ was praying at you know in John 16 and 17 he said you know when he was praying to the Father he said I ask you not to take them from the world but to keep them from the evil okay. so Christ will keep us protected even if we are in the midst of the greatest tribulations when the land of Egypt used to be receiving the plagues were the Jews suffered in the same way as the Egyptians? No. The Jews did not suffer you know, with these plagues as Egyptians did. It's the same thing. If we believe in God, if we truly believe in His strength, He is capable of protecting us from the great tribulations that's going to come regardless of what's going to happen. He is very capable. And again, all the habitable word to try those who dwell upon the earth. But they're going to tell you, yes, this is dwell upon the earth, not dwell upon the clouds. Right? So we're going to address that later on, <laughs> on the clouds issue. The other thing to, you know, to look at from a personal point of view, God is keeping away from us a lot of tribulations that we don't know of. Especially if you drive in Egypt. You drive there and all these cars <coughs> popping on your way left and right and you know, God protects you and gets you safe where you where you want to be. You just, you know, uh, it's not a, maybe the right example but each one of us can examine our lives and we will realize 
especially after we go up to heaven, that God has protected us and prevented a lot of evil from happening our way that we didn't know of. People planning, you know, bad things to us, you know, disasters or whatever, and we, by accidentally uh, overcome them without us even knowing there was something being, you know, planned against us. Behold, I will I come quickly, hold fast that which you have so that no one may, may take your crown. Again, no one may take your crown is another sign that my crown can be taken. What's the best example of this particular story? Does anyone remember a story about somebody else taking the crown? One other person? That's that's one example. That's a good example. Yes, Saul was rightful king, and then you know when he strayed away and deviated from God, David became right king, and he inherited that again. But another example, a story about you know the forty martyrs of uh, Tabith. I think that's what's called. These were forty soldiers that were told to worship idols. They refused. So the punishment is to throw them in. Uh, a lake, a frozen lake, basically, until they die, freeze and die. And on the other side, they put in a hot tub. So if you change your mind and want to worship the idols, come and get, enjoy the hot tub. The night Christ, worship, you know, enjoy the hot tub. So the soldier guarding these, you know, 40 martyrs, God opened his eye and he saw 40 angels holding crowns and coming down, whoever dies, they put the crown on him, and he goes to heaven. If one angel, hesitant, going up and down, up and down, and then he saw one guy, one of those, you know, 40 people, coming out, say, I deny Christ, I deny Christ, and ran away to where the hot water is. Of course, because of the sudden change in temperature, huge temperature, you know, his body was shocked and died anyway. So when this guard saw the angel going back to heaven with the with the crown, he, you know, took out his clothes and he jumped into the lake. He said, "I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian." And he received that crown, you know, of martyrdom instead of the other guy. So again, this is another example of there's no guaranteed salvation just because you wrote in your Bible that this is where you accepted Christ as Savior and you were saved. This is not a guarantee of salvation. Again, if we're not you know, careful and watchful, he will come in and we are not going to realize what's happening and we're going to lose his presence. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he will go out no more and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God and my name, my new name. Why is Christ keeping repeating, my God, my God, my God, my God, my God? Isn't he God? Isn't him and God in one? This is, this is in the bottom, so you're not going to read that now. Why is he saying, my God, my God, my God? Three times, right? He is three times. This is the first time. Temple of my God. And the name of my God and the city of my God three times actually four times 
and from heaven, down from heaven, from my God. Four times. He's saying for my God four times in one verse. Why? How are we going to receive all these gifts? How are we going to receive all these things that God's promising? How are we going to become eligible to receive all these things? If it wasn't for the incarnation, if it wasn't for Christ coming in, dying on our behalf, right? And let us inherit with Him. So all these repetition of my God, my God, my is to remind us of that He is the only one, He's He's the only way, is the only path through heaven and to God. There's no other name and there's salvation in no other one for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So that's a reminder again to this church for this bishop that he doesn't see God as holy or he started concentrating about himself that only through Christ is salvation. And only through the, the act of salvation that God did and in, you know being incarnate and you know coming as a man and dying as a man and resurrecting, that's the only way for us to be saved. And that's why the repetition of the name of my God, the word of name my God one. Again, he who overcomes, it's a struggle, it's a war, it's a war that we are expected to overcome regardless of how weak we are or how little strength we have. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. There are two types of pillars, right? Uh, the pillars that you know are called you know bearing walls or bearing you know pillars that they carry the building and they, you know support the whole building. And if you remove one of those pillars, what happens? Building collapse. And this is very common in Egypt. Is that they want to do renovations and they want to expand you know a floor especially one of the basement floors, they move one of those bearing you know, columns and the whole building collapses. So God is telling this person, I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. So that person is going to be key and extremely important in God's temple and God's service. But wait a minute, this same person is have, has what kind of strength? A little strength. So even if I ha- have little strength, if God works through me, what I'll be able to do? I become a pillar in God's church. And here, St. Paul is talking about, you know, James, Cephas, and, you know, John's, who seem to be pillars of the church. A person can be a pillar in God's church if he let God work through him, not if he worked by himself. And this is the struggle that we need to let go, let go of ourselves and let God take over, let him work through us so he can he can really work. Right? There's another kind of pillar that's a decorative pillar. pillar. You, know, you put a pillar and then you put all these architect, you know, nice decorations on it and all that. And imagine that you know you and I become one of those decorative pillars 
in God's temple that you know people see us and say wow this is you know what a nice pillar this is and becomes pleasing to God himself that we are you know such a nice you know column you know decorative column in his house maybe we're not carrying anything but at least we are pleasing to him in his temple he will go out no more so this is it that's going to happen at the end after we die after we die if you go in you'll go in and you'll go out no more if you're out you will never go in again there's no uh, purgatory and there's none of these things that you know you can just warm yourself outside for a little bit and then you know go back in or any of these things once you're in you're in once you're out you're out and I will write upon him the name of my God Again, when you write your name on something that means it belongs to you but aren't we all God's creatures aren't we all belonging to God so why would he need to write his name on us we're, we're his possession anyway right we're his you know, creation why would he need to write his name on us not everyone will accept him so the idea is what it's freedom. It's a personal freedom. God who say who created without created you without your will cannot save you without your will. Who said that? Then I was seen. Okay. So it, again it all depends here on me accepting God. Whether I accept him to work in me or not. Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God again that contradicts with the millennium reign with God you know Christ is going to reign here on earth for a thousand years no we're not interested in milk and honey we're not interested in you know, tall buildings and you know green grass and all these things but our interest is heavenly and the rewards are heavenly and are not earthly earthly okay and my new name what is God's new name does Christ have a new name? What is that? What does that mean? The name in the Old Testament means the attributes of a person. For example, if I tell you Judah, what is that going to bring to your mind? Betrayal. Right? If I tell you Job, what's going to bring to your mind? Patience and endurance and so on. Right? Uh, St. John, love. So the name stands for an attribute. You know, when we say names, we can relate attributes to our head. So at the same time, God is saying, I'm going to write my new name on each one of them, on each one of you. We're going to know things about God in our life and you know, eternity that we never knew before. Let's say, for example, I am under certain sin and I don't know whether I can get out of this or not. And I, I'm going to experience God's strength in getting me out of that sin and making me surpass that. So I'm going to learn something new about God. I'm going to experience God's love in a 
in you know in a new way that I've never experienced before. So that's to me that's a new name, that's a new attribute of God. The fathers say that the angels did not understand what God is love means until they saw Christ being incarnate, living as a man, and dying on the cross. Only at that time that they were able to imagine and try to understand what does God God is love means. So that's a new attribute. So each of us is going to each of us is going to experience God in a little bit different way. Again, another story is that you know again one of those you know, blessed fathers in Egypt he was taking a cab and going somewhere and then you know in the middle of the road the cab stopped there were no mechanics around so he went out you know with the cab driver and trying to figure out what's going on and he did the sign of the cross and the engine told him go ahead try it. You know, it worked. So God, now I know that you're a mechanic. I know about mechanics. So each of each of us is going to learn something new about God every day. Okay. So that's the end of the second church. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Right. So any question about these two churches? comes next time so no uh, there's a lot of reasons for it so it's out of you know dignity uh, you know a sign that you know uh, died from the word and been consecrated you know to God uh, some people say yes it's members of what Muslims were in Egypt but they asked the Pope that actually in uh, sort of the book exhibition in Egypt and told them the priests wear black because they, you know, sad because the Muslims came to Egypt. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, they ask him very tough questions, and he is extremely, extremely blessed in how he gets out of these things. He is wonderful in how he gets out of these things. Yeah. Yeah. And glory be to God forever, amen.